Welcome to Latino Vote 21, a pop-up podcast from Gotham Gazette. I am Eli Balindin, a contributing Gotham Gazette columnist and political analyst. This podcast series accompanies my Gotham Gazette column series of the same name about the Latino vote and the consequential 2021 New York City elections. History has been made in this election cycle. Based on the initial results, we are certain that the next city council class will have more women. In fact, they may be the majority of the entire city council class. This is indeed historic, and many of those women are Latinas. On our last episode, we interviewed one of them, Marjorie Velasquez from the Bronx. And for this episode, we are honored to have yet another Latina join us. Today, we have with us Alexa Aviles, who soon enough will be certified as the winner of the council seat vacated by term-limited council member Carlos Menchaca. Alexa will be representing the 38th Council District, which covers Red Hook, Sunset Park, Greenwood Heights, and portions of Winter Terrace, Dyka Heights, and Borough Park, all in Brooklyn. Alexa has lived in Sunset Park for nearly two decades, and she currently serves as a program director for the Sherman Foundation, where her work directs funds to local and national organizations working on human rights, the arts, and New York City community issues. Alexa graduated from Columbia University, then from Baruch College's Graduate School of Public and International Affairs. She has also served her local community as the PTA president at PS172. She's been a member of Community Board 7 and serves as a parent representative of the MS88 school leadership team and as chair of the New York City youth board as you can all hear alexa is a very busy person and she will be the democratic nominee for uh, the 38th council district in brooklyn so alexa we are so happy that you have joined us for this latest episode in our latino vote 21 podcast so welcome thank you thank you eli i'm so delighted to be here thank you to latino vote 21 yes okay. No, we, we are grateful. We've been uh, wanting to highlight uh, the importance of the Latino presence in New York and, and specifically the Latino vote um, and Latino voters and and even more, probably more specifically, the significance of this for Latino political representation, which you will now uh, represent. So with the certification of elections coming soon, uh, we will most likely be calling you uh, officially the Democratic nominee for the 38th Council District. And your victory, Alexa, was pretty decisive, especially considering that there were a number of candidates on the ballot uh, to fill this uh, vacant seat as a result of Carlos Menchaca's um, uh, eight years in office. So in your view, I'm wondering what you feel made your candidacy compelling to the voters of the 38th Council District. Like I said, it was a pretty decisive win and, and we congratulate you. Mm -hmm. So clearly you did something, you said something that resonated with voters. So just wondering if you can share with us what you believe made that possible. Yeah. So thank you so much for, for the question again and for the opportunity to talk. So you know, I think um, I think it was a combination of factors, right? Like, um, I think the things that stand out to me when I reflect on that are, you know, we ran a campaign that was authentic, right? I brought authentic voice, and I think that was really important. 
for our residents to see and feel. That's the thing that you you can't you can't fake authenticity. Um, and I think we the we focused on the issues that really affect working people's lives. I think our campaign was grounded in movement, and um, I think those combinations of things really spoke to people. Um, you know, I because I've been here for such a long time in the district, you know, I wasn't an unknown quantity. I wasn't, you know, this campaign wasn't based on last year's work. It wasn't a campaign that was based on, you know, my political ambition for moving through politics. It was a campaign that was grounded in decades of work with hundreds of families across the district um, in very quiet ways, right? Ways that we, we help each other as neighbors, right? Whether it's like resume writing or contending with, you know, very profound immigration issues or just buying shoes those so that a child could feel happy, you know, when they go to graduation ceremony that, you know, they have their new shoes. So it really was, um, I think neighbors knew who I was, they knew how I worked. And I think um, they really connected with, with the issues that we were talking about, right? our children, education, um, housing, and having hard conversations around what safety means and, and what it means for a community with such different historical relationships with you know, public safety entities um, and their own home countries. So, you know, I, I guess lastly, I'd say, you know, on the movement front, I think, you know, I, I am from the movement. I'm connected to the movement. I'm accountable to the movement. When I say that, I mean, obviously, this community, but also bodies of people have been working for social justice here um, and in our district and across New York City. And I take that very seriously. So I, I think those were the, the elements that um, I think really spoke to people. Um, and, uh, you know, the doors told us the story and people are very excited to be in conversation. And that was a lot of the feedback we were getting, you know, authenticity movement was important in the issues, the way we engage the issues felt real to folks. Um, so it was a ride, it was a ride, but you know, those are some of the things I think really we set out to do. And I think really made a difference. Yeah. You know, I, I teach <clears throat> every fall a um, several workshops for the Latino Leadership Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, Jaime Stades leads that and it's uh, um, based out of the uh, CUNY's uh, School of Labor Studies, as well mm-hmm. as Columbia Social, uh, School of Social Work. And uh, I often tell those that uh, the students of the uh, Latino Le- Leadership Institute, um, if you're a candidate running for office, uh, remember, you cannot fake the funk. Uh, you know, people know. People know. Yes. They 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 see you. They 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 want to know what you've done. Yes. Um, and it's important that we put in the work. And, That's right. That's and, right. and not just for political ambitions, as as you rightly pointed out, right? But there's there's a greater good here, and um, people see that. And and I think that's what you saw at the doors, right? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I think uh, that is absolutely the best thing you could say because our community is savvy. They've been watching and paying attention. And so they will call you out. 
<laughs> Sometimes they will call you in. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they know political rhetoric when they see it. They've seen it before. Um, and, you know, I was OK with saying, you know, there were there were areas in the community that I had never done any work before. Mm. And, you know, I, I wasn't going to go in there and fake the funk. I was going to say, I'm here to build trust. I haven't done work in your community. And I'm here to earn that trust and to work with you. And so I need you to give me an opportunity um, and, and be real about, you know, what I didn't know and, and what I had to learn uh, because people are savvy. And I think there's no greater insult than to not 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 be guided by that because yeah. um, we see it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, before we started uh, recording this episode, uh, we we chatted briefly about uh, your district, the 38th Council District. I I mentioned some of the neighborhoods that are uh, form part of the district, and we we noted the demographic changes and shifts that have been occurring there for um, at least two decades now. So uh, I'm wondering if you can share with our audience um, how you've seen these shifts. Um, this was a, a predominantly Latino district, right? And, you know, just you can shed some more light about this. And and of those Latinos, uh, most of them were Puerto Ricans, right? Boricuas. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, there, there, there have been a lot of changes. And, and even beyond the, the representation of Latinos there, where they come from, uh, it, it, is, it is a broader, there's a broader shift happening there. So, and, and I think that although there are some spots in New York City where, where we are seeing similar dynamics, but I think the 38th uh, really represents uh, a lot of the shifts that that we are now beginning to see in other places. So I'm wondering if you can just shed some light about uh, about your district and how you're seeing these demographic shifts over the years and even what that that may mean for uh, for you political representation there in the future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, you hit it on the head. The district is super diverse and, you know, obviously, early like Norwegian and, you know, uh, community working class Italian and, and went to, um, went to the Boricuas, right. When there was white flight, the Boricuas came in and truly worked so hard to make this community, to bring economic vibrancy back, right. To clean up the houses that were left, you know, the, the buildings that were left for not, um, when the city was not investing in anything, right. It was the Boricuas here who, who built the neighborhood and quite frankly demanded that they be represented in institutions. I mean, Yvette Aguirre is a resident here who was one of the first, I, she may have been the first Boricua principal in the district. Wow. Um, and that was not by happenstance. That was because community members organized and they demanded that our schools have representation for our kids, right? And so she's but one example of the so many pioneras and pioneros in the community that mm. demanded that representation. And and obviously the community, the Boricua community has probably decreased, but it's still presente. Um, mm. And I think um, obviously the Latinos have become much more diverse. Um, we've had a longstanding Dominican population, a longstanding actually Palestinian population here. Oh, wow. um, there are many like Boricua Palestinian families. Um, wow. 
That's interesting. Which, you know, they they were here together toiling um, in in the neighborhood. But, you know, I think as we see the growing Mexican population, growing, you know, Central American representation, um, it's a beautiful, diverse place. It is, of course, not without challenges, right? Because yeah. um, we're we're packed into this little geography, um, but it is really beautiful. And I think the um, I, I think one of the things that people were really concerned about, even when I was running, was that people would pit the Boricuas against the Mexicanos, and mm. that it was a power struggle, and you know that 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 was going to be something that they would play up. And I think people made those attempts. Um, wow. But I think also, you know, we're, we're fighting this community in this community together. We're all fighting for housing. Right. We're all fighting for the dignity of our families and, and kids. It doesn't matter what part of the country you came from. Uh, we're all working class people trying to get by, trying to support each other uh, who deserve fresh foods and you know decent housing. So in the end, it didn't play out because um, I think people saw that people saw that it was about us. Right. It wasn't about one community or the other and that we all deserve dignity and honor. Um, and uh, I think, you know, our our campaign coalition like showed that it was like I had my Mexicana 60 year old mamas who were knocking on the doors um, just as 22 year old um, uh, people from from El Salvador or um, and uh, and and Asian folks, which is another growing demographic here in the district right so it's predominantly latino and that has that has maintained with probably half latino representation in the district and then probably 30 percent asian got it and then the rest is you know a, a growing white population obviously with gentrification that has you know really kind of yeah. impacted the neighborhood um but it's still compared we still are a majority people of color immigrant district um, by far. Um, mm. Mm. And so, you know, I think uh, I think folks see who's doing the work. Um, I think they demand representation. They demand um, respect. Um, and I think the one thing that is also really exciting that I point out in terms of Latino representation is it will be the first time this district will be represented at every level of government by a Latina. So we have wow. At the congressional level, Nidia Velasquez, the first right. Latina council, the first one, you know, in, uh, yeah. in, Congress. in Congress. We have well. Marcela Mitayanes, probably, I think she may be the first Peruana um, yes. at, at the state level. Yes. And then, and then myself at the local level. Um, yes. And so that that's a real dynamic new um, thing that we are all really excited about and, you know, just feel very encouraged by because, you know, we we work differently. And yeah. so we're, we're looking forward to showing how we're going to work together to bring change for the community. I'm glad you mentioned that last piece um, and, and you mentioned Nidia and Marcela. Um, now, like I said at the beginning, you you will be one of several Latinas elected to this new council class. Um, I believe there will be ten Latinas. That's um, the the highest ever. Incredible! It's it's really an incredible feat. Um, and and there were also a number of non Latina females elected this year. So I believe that the number is now at twenty nine, which is well over half of the yeah. new incoming council class. Your district has been known to. Elect 
elect women to legislative office. You mentioned Miria Velasquez, yeah. uh, the, the Congress member who made history at the council level and also um, in Congress. And your district has, uh, the council district has elected a Latina before, um, Sarah Gonzalez before Menchaca. Um, you mentioned Marcela elected to the, the assembly. Um, and, and now you have been elected to the council. How significant is the fact that Latinx voters have historically been open to electing females to elected office? I don't think, I don't think we we really reflect on that much, right? Because yeah. the perception is that los Latinos son machistas, right? We are, <laughs> uh, and, and you know what? And, and it is true. I mean, that's, that's, I, I believe that is a fact that has been part of our history and unfortunately our culture, although there there's thankfully uh, some shifts happening there, but we cannot de deny that it is there. But in spite yeah. of the fact that it has been there, it's interesting that Latino districts have voted for uh, female elected officials, right? So right. I always mention Olga Mendez because she was the first yeah. um, Latina. She's, uh, she was Boricua. Um, she was the first Latina to get elected to a state legislative body. This was right. back in the late 70s in El Barrio in Manhattan. And um, so, I mean, we see, right, there's, there's a pattern um, over the last 40 years of of uh, a propensity for Latino voters to vote for for women. And we see it in your district. Um, and what what do you think, Alexa, this means for the future of Latinx political representation? Um, is this an indicator for what's to come? Um, I hope so. You know, it took us a minute. Yeah, it has. It, has. <laughs> it took us. It took us a minute. Um, you know, I think all things considered, obviously, you know, gender parity across the board is still very much an issue that we have to contend with. Um, but, you know, I think our district obviously has had um, a better history or better recent history of being willing to elect women representation. So I think I'm generally a, a, a glass half full. I see the glass half full um, because uh, to me, there's no uh, point in despair. For me, it's about, you know, like seeing the best and moving to the best and, and uh, working uh, for the best. So I think it is an indicator of what's to come. I think, um, you know, I, you know, who's working in community is women, right? Like at the very local level, you see it in nonprofit, you see it, you know, where you see kind of the male hoarding is and power, you know, in, in, in boardrooms and powerful, you know, corners and stuff, but who's in community as women. And I think people are really coming around to this notion that um, we don't need the archetype of the politician that we've been fed. Yeah. Uh, a white, you know, business guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. We actually need the women who are dealing with multiple levels of things all the time, who can produce better outcomes, who are doing it on a daily basis, going with very little resources, right? And imagine if you empowered a group of people that were capable and representative and understood what it meant to have these kinds of living conditions. There's no better urgency when you know what it is to live in poverty, you know what it is to be hungry, to be without a job, 
to have healthcare be the thing that, you know, keeps you awake at night, you have a different level of urgency and engagement with these issues. They are not academic. And I think people see that they need representation that has that urgency, right? Um, and I think there's an acknowledgement that women work differently. And, um, and we, it's, time to, it's time to do something different. We're half the population of New York City. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So it took us a minute yeah. <laughs> to get to, you know, a little majority. Um, yeah. But, you know, I think these are positive outcomes of yet to come. And I'm proud of our community who is willing to affirm Latina leadership. Um, yeah. And I think we're going to we should keep building on that. And it's very exciting because, you know, we have tons of leaders everywhere. Um, and uh, Absolutely. hopefully they feel affirmed by Absolutely. these moments. You know, I had assembly member uh, Jessica Gonzalez Rojas as a guest. I think she was my second guest in this podcast series. And she mentioned something that she had read a study that showed that um, women and this was uh, um, quantifiably proven. Right. So so this yeah. is a study that yeah. that women were better legislators than men. So if that's the case, then New York City. Um, is in great hands now that uh, the majority of council members will be women. But I, I thought that was fascinating. We, we, we got a lot of cleaning up to do. Um, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to take that fact and, and uh, you know, hold hold it uh, with humility. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we know you will do a great job. You, you've you've already been doing the work, as you've mentioned. And um, and I know you're going to have. Uh, your community's best interests at heart, as well as the entire city. We know that uh, while you represent a specific district, but you will be uh, uh, introducing legislation and voting on legislation that will impact the entire city. Um, That is not lost on us. Um, Alexa, I have one more question for you. And again, we're grateful for your time. But uh, if if we can speak of a, a first 100 days for your council term, uh-huh. what, what would that look like? So what issues do you feel uh, are pivotal for uh, your your constituents and who will yeah. be your constituents? Yeah. So, you know, when I think about the first 100 days, I mean, two things pop up immediately. Right. It's establishing just a really strong office, an office that is representative of the district, you know, that speaks in the languages that are present here, which is hasn't always been the case and really has a culture of service to community. Right. That that public service. We are here for you, not um not what you have in prevailing offices, which is like, what do you want? <laughs> right. That's that's like the culture. And I think yeah. we want to absolutely need to break that because we need to build trust um, with our community members. And so constituent services is so critical. And we know we have such profound level of need across the district Um that for me, that is honestly the most critical, a strong representative office with that culture. Um, and then obviously, you know, we're going to be running into the heels of the budget, right? That's like the, the first giant act. So what we're going to really need to be focused on is, you know, how our district 
um, how working people who live here, you know, fare in the proposals that are being put on the table. We don't know what the economic climate is going to be a year from now. We have kind of fire and brimstone and, you know, the economy, we don't know which way it's going to go. But, you know, I think we're going to have to really focus in on what are those proposals? How does how does our district fare in those proposals? How does our city, you know, working class folks across the city, poor people, the most vulnerable, where are they in those proposals and how do they show up? And honestly, that's going to determine where we're going to go hard on which specific proposals. So, I don't answer this question with like, I'm going to solve, you know, these five issues in the first hundred days. But I think the reality of the situation is we're going to be responding and hopefully shaping and influencing a budget that's really going to determine how the level of service our community gets, um, our community and across the city. Honestly, um, so I think those are that's how I look at my first hundred days, uh, and both of those are no uh, easy task. <laughs> um, but uh, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking about right now. Yeah, well, we know you're up to you're you're up for it, you're up to it, uh, <laughs> and um, we know that the district is in good hands, and you will do great work. We're rooting for you. And obviously, as we root for you, we root for your district and and the city at large. Uh, Clearly, um, the the city faces some serious challenges, which have only been exacerbated because of the pandemic. That's right. Uh, So you will have a lot on your hands, but uh, we are rooting for you. And again, we congratulate you. It was an amazing victory, and and we do wish you all the best as yeah, you uh, yeah, as, as you head now to City Hall. <laughs> so, Alexa, we thank you for joining us, and uh, you have graced us with your presence. And thank you for um, uh, for the work you have done and what you're about to do. Oh, thank you. This was a real pleasure, and I hope we can do it another time. <laughs> yes, yes, we. I'd love to have you back once after you've been sworn in. <laughs> after after my hundred days. <laughs> yeah, after your hundred days. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you All so right. much. Thank and you so much. Take care. Absolutely. Folks, we are again we're grateful for Alexa Aviles joining us. And uh please stay tuned. We will have more episodes coming as we dissect uh the Latino, the, the importance of the Latino vote in the mayoral election and for Eric Adams uh victory. So we thank you again for listening to Latino Vote 21. Take care, everyone.